SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Good evening and welcome to the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. My name is Rake Fanikag and I'm standing in for Guguletu Mfupi who is flat on her back with the flu. Well, we have a packed show tonight. We will look at the JSE who hit an all-time high today. We also look at a new study that found that there are 28,200 South African households who are dollar millionaires. And these households apparently have more than 10 million rand in shares and cash. And then the Reserve Bank investigated a total of 38 dodgy investment schemes last year. And I will speak to MoneyWeb's very own Jeanette Clark about these investigations. But first, here is Kensi Rodebe with the business headlines. Thank you, Ray. Let's take a look at the headlines this afternoon. South Africa's trade deficit nearly doubled in April, reaching unexpected levels of 15 billion rand. The trade deficit in March stood at 7.8 billion rand. SARS released South Africa's trade deficit results, which also indicated that the country's cumulative deficit for the year currently stands at 57 billion rand. Redefined Properties plans to sell its 1.9 billion rand stake in high prop investments. Redefine owns an 11.2% stake in its rival competitor. The sale will begin in September and Redefine CEO Mark Weiner said that Redefine would either sell its shares as currency for an acquisition or seek to sell through the market. Unemployment figures in Europe reached a record level this April at 12.2%. Inflation remains well below the European Central Bank's target. The dismal unemployment figures have pressurized EU leaders and the European Central Banks to take action in order to revive the European economy. Let's take a look at the markets. The JSE All Share Index is currently in positive territory, up by just under a third of a percent at 42,016 points. The rand is weaker against major currencies, trading at 10 rand 6 against the dollar, 15 rand 24 against the pound, and 13 rand 5 against the euro. Gold is trading at $1,394 an ounce, platinum is at $1,458 an ounce, and a barrel of crude oil is trading at $101. That's it from the headlines and markets. Thank you, Kenzie. Wayne McCurry from Momentum is in studio tonight. Uh, good evening, Wayne. Uh, the market traded down for most of the yes. day, but there was an intraday all-time high. Yeah. Now, look, I mean, the market was looking quite dismal at one, at one stage. It was, it was a... Vi- it, it, clearly reflected a weak rand. So the resource shares were strong runners. I mean, Anglo-American was up about 2% at one stage. It's now slightly negative. And the U.S. market opened up. Um, the Dow went up a little bit. It's now up about a third of a percent or whatever. And the rand strengthened from the... I mean, it got clobbered this morning again. It, it fell to, clobbered. to 10 rand 22. Yeah. Um, but it's now just above 10 Just rand. above 10 rand. So I think that brought a little bit of cheer back into the market. And there wasn't, I mean, there's no great gains anywhere, really. Uh, MTN was very, very strong. The banks were quite weak at one stage. They closed more or less flat on all of them. But, yeah, it, it ended up being a relatively uneventful day. But, with you know, I think there's big undercurrents in the market simply because the market at almost an 18 price earnings ratio. Now, just to give an idea, the average is about 13 or 14. So the market is clearly well above average. It's not cheap. So anything that just must just shake the boat a little bit, yeah, the market's going to, going to come off, I think. A few commentators have said that there, there may be some you know, sector rotation. Um, there's, definite, there's definite sector rotation. It's very, it's very new. And uh, how long it lasts, who knows, but there's clear rotation into, into resource shares. And there's big, serious rotation out of listed property in particular. The sector did really poorly yesterday as well as today. Yeah, no, it's been clobbered quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, this was a very expensive sec- sector. A very good rule of thumb 
is when the yield on a listed property stock is lower than the inflation rate. They, they're overvalued, they're expensive, and foreigners own these shares quite significantly, and, and I think they're bailing a little bit there. The gold shares still went up today 1.7%, yes. but yesterday the sector oh, went up by 11%. I've never seen anything like that. No, I've never seen that before, but you must understand the gold index, when it got down to that 1,300 level, almost irrespective of what was going to happen into the future, it was just so oversold that it was going to go up at some stage. I mean, and that's not saying the South African gold mining industry is, you know, got a rosy future. It was just too oversold. So, in fact, very similar to the RAND, eh? the RAND can strengthen quite a bit from this level. It's, it is just so oversold. It won't even need good news to do it. It is just at a price where it is just too cheap. But, but it's not only a, a South African phenomenon. Uh, even the Australian dollar pulled no, back by 8%. So there, yeah. there's definitely an emerging market uh, flavor. There's, there's, well, there's more a dollar flavor. People are just so keen on the dollar at the moment. You can't do, you know, dollar can't do anything wrong. The moment you talk about monetary uh, quantitative easing or free money being pulled back in America, people are going to rush into the dollar because then they're going to say, oh, the economy is so good. And, you know, despite one or two bad bits of economic news, the overwhelming majority of economic news out of America has actually been very, very positive. So people are piling into the dollar. So the RAND weakness is half dollar strength and half South African weakness, if you'd like to put it that way. Mm. Let's quickly talk about President Zuma. He came out yesterday, he addressed the, uh, the media to try and, you know, support the economy, and it backfired completely. Yeah, well, look, I think the RAND was going to weaken whether he spoke or not, quite frankly. The RAND had the skids underneath it. That was, the RAND had 10 in its sights, and it didn't matter what was going to happen. The RAND was determined to go there. So people were just selling this RAND. And I suppose what, what President Zuma said just propelled it. But I think if anyone had stood up and said anything, good or negative, <laughs> the, the currency was going to, but it was just going. There were so many shorts in the market. But, it, but it, 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 when it went up to that, that 10.22, 10.23 this morning, it came back rapidly. Now, whether that's the Reserve Bank coming in to support it, I don't know. It can't do it forever. Eh? They can only influence at the margin. Or some, someone just deciding, no, this is crazy, I'm going to buy South Africa. Um, I, I don't know, but uh, um, President Zuma, I suppose, in his speech, didn't give too much detail of exactly what the government's going to do to try and rectify. And I think the market didn't really like that too much. If you look at the trade deficit, it came in at 15 billion, as Kinsey yes. said. It was 10 billion was expected, yeah, so it's it a bad. massive, you know, negative number. Um, but that's one look, of the core problems we look, have. It's, it's the same story. The story started off long time ago with that current account deficit means we're not exporting enough and we're importing too much. And the GDP numbers that came out a, a couple of days ago supported that. There's no growth in the domestic economy. And the trade numbers simply just confirm that. Although trade numbers, remember, these are highly volatile. It's month on month. We had big imports of oil. In the next month, we might not have it. But there's... At the end of the day, a weak currency is bad for the country, but there are some benefits to a weak currency. Your exports are going to go up and your imports are going to come down. So the trade situation should start to see some sort of rectification from this uh, very poor, from these very, very poor numbers over the next month or two. It won't sort out our current account deficit, but it will at least assist in getting that right. Well, at a 10 rand to the dollar exchange rate, we may see a lot more tourists uh, in Cape Town. Yeah, it's, it's cheap.
Yeah. Just a, a few interesting share movements today. 52-week high for British American Tobacco. The share hit nearly 560 rand. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, the company announced on 22 of this month's 23 trading days that it bought back shares. Yeah. I calculate it's about 440,000 shares. It bought back at a cost of 250 million rand. Have you ever seen this aggressive buyback of shares? Oh, no, I've seen way more aggressive than that. I oh, know I have, but, but, it, but it is still nevertheless an aggressive buyback. Now, uh, British American Tobacco, not that long ago, no one was really interested in it. Look, there was a lot of stories about is it in the index, what's it included, that will it go in index tracker, all those long drawn out saga, doesn't really matter, but this share has performed incredibly well. Now, you've got to sit back and say, it is essentially a declining industry. It's a very strong cash generative industry, hugely strong. That's why they're buying back the shares, because the option is, do I buy back the shares or pay a divvy? They decided, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do both. So it's hugely cash generative, but volumes are declining. This is not a growth industry. Clearly, it's not a growth industry. And there are, also, of course, other legislative, potential legislative issues to do with smoking that after the massive run that it's had, you as an investor have got to sit back and say, is it worth a 22 price earnings ratio? That's a very high rating. That's, that's, a, that's a high rating. You know, um, not that long ago, SAB was 22, and that is a growth share. You know, Richmond is still 22, but that is a growth share. BTI is not a growth yeah, share. So I must say, you know, when it was 13 two years ago, it was dirt cheap. At 22, I think the share is expensive. Just lastly, Sassol also hit a new 52-week high. Yeah. Reached the 450 rand level. This is a one to watch. Yeah, Sassol, you can buy it, put it in your bottom drawer. Those, the, number one, the price is cheap. I mean, this is a 10 PE share. Okay, and it's a growth share. These gas reserves in America, I know I keep harping on about this, but this is the next game changer. I mean, I heard a quote today which I found maybe not quite the correct position, but a very intuitive and very interesting quote. This whole gas thing in America is almost like another industrial revolution. Ten years ago, we hosted the inaugural Kimberley Process Summit. For the second time, South Africa is chair of this important international structure. On behalf of all South Africans, I am proud to welcome back members of the Kimberley process to a renewal of our collective commitment to an equitably prosperous world, free of conflict diamonds. This message is brought to you by the South African government. The Boston Consulting Group released its Global Wealth Report for 2013 and found that there are 28,200 households in South Africa who are millionaires in dollar terms. And depending on the exchange rate, that is about 10 million rand. On the line now from Frankfurt in Germany is Michael Krupp. He is the head of the Boston Consulting Group's financial institutions practice in South Africa. Good afternoon, Michael. Interesting research indeed. What was the methodology of this research? First of all, it's a global study. Um, that's the reason we calculate in U.S. dollars. And um, we look into the statistics of all, all the countries where central banks, for example, have information on income distribution. We look for the richest. Usually there is a list of the richest in the country, uh, to get a more accurate p uh, picture, so we do that for a property of more than 150 billion U.S. dollars, 
And then we take some statistical measure, measures on that and uh, have, uh, especially we use Lorentz curves, which is a, a statistical method for that. And based on that, we come to the numbers you just uh, cited. Well, what assets are included? Um, it's not, uh, as I understand it, property or investment in unlisted shares, but it's uh, more liquid assets. Absolutely. Uh, so it's financial wealth. It includes cash, deposits, money markets, funds, listed securities, hold directly or indirectly through managed uh, investments via life or pension reserves, whether it's onshore or offshore, all that is included. What is not included is uh, investors' own, own businesses, residences, or luxury goods. So it's more from the perspective of the financial industry, um, of, uh, from the bank's perspective, uh, where you can do business with. It also excludes, presumably, um, any debt. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's absolutely possible that uh, the owner of this uh, property holds at the same time uh, company and has some debt as well, yes. South Africa is one of the most unequal societies in the world. Um, is this reflected in any way by the research? Uh, sure, it is uh, reflected. We just published the Sustainable Economic Development Assessment Report, uh, for, which is a global study as well, um, and the unequal uh, income distribution, or how, how uh, equal the uh, income distribution is, is a so-called Gini coefficient. So the Gini coefficient on zero means all is equal, everyone owns the same. 100 would mean one person holds all. So South Africa is on 63, which means that it is a relatively unequal income distribution in the country. Um, and actually, when we look back, back in the past, uh, it has made little progress on that. Um, if you compare the 63 uh, with other countries, for example, Brazil has 54, India has 34, China has 42, Russia has 40. So it's relatively concentrated in the hands of few people. The U.S. is number one on the list. That is not really a surprise. Any surprises uh, on that list? Which countries you know, have the, the most uh, uh, you know, dollar millionaire households per capita? If you take the U.S., they have about 5.8 million households owning more than 1 million financial assets. As you said, this is by far not uh, unexpected. What is unexpected is that China is number three, with 1.3 million households, only more than 1 million. What is maybe unexpected as well is that such a small country like Switzerland is on number five, with 395,000 uh, millionaires uh, in the country. And you can take a different perspective on that as well, the proportion of millionaires compared to the households. Here, Qatar is the, lead, is the leading the list. They have 14.3% of the population so of the households of the population holding more than one million in financial assets. So this is extraordinarily high. Thank you, Michael. That was Michael Krupp from the Boston Consulting Group. Wayne, 28,200 people, that's half the capacity of the Cape Town Stadium. Does that yep. number sound right? Probably is about right, yeah. And when you think that SARS released some number and sending they've targeted, was it 6,000 6, or 7,000, what they termed, ultra-rich, super-rich people. These are actually quite small numbers in the, in the context of South Africa. And I suppose it says a couple of things. It says, uh, well, at least there are 28,000 dollar millionaires in the country. But that's a very, very small uh, a group of people who 
have the ability, if they wanted to, to go somewhere else. So they literally could, you know, as the term goes, vote with their feet. They've decided to stay here. I'm, I'm pretty sure that numbers remain fairly static over over a long time period. You know, um, by and large, people have actually actually stayed here, but it's a, it's 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 a small number. It's a very very small number, mm. and I don't know what proportion of personal tax that that twenty eight thousand pays, but I can only assume it's a, it's a, it's substantially bigger than their percentage of the population. Yeah, I would love to see what the number would be if you add assets like property. Um, but anyway, I can assure you that there are not too many of these households in the media industry. <laughs> SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. We now look at illegal investment or pyramid schemes. The Bank Supervision Department of the Reserve Bank released its annual report this week and it states, among other things, that it was investigating 38 schemes for apparent illegal deposit-taking. On the line now is MoneyWeb reporter Jeanette Clark. Jeanette, what does the term illegal deposit-taking mean? Well, I simply put it actually just means if any entity or individual takes deposits or amounts of money from clients without actually having a banking license. Now, that might sometimes translate into pyramid schemes, but um, it could also be a lot of other things. And um, so the Reserve Bank said it was investigating 38 schemes last year. At the end of that year, 18 schemes were still under investigation for illegal deposit taking. But 38, the number sounds very low. If you look at the media, there are many of these schemes that have been attracting a lot of media attention over the last year. Well, it's definitely the number of schemes under review is actually lower than it was uh, two years ago. It was 51 in 2010, 47 in 2009, and that's now come down to 38. And the scheme is still under investigation, so unless there are any new ones that have come um, to the Reserve Bank's attention in the last couple of months, is only 18. But what was interesting, what they said in the annual report, is that even though the statistics seem to indicate that there is a decreasing trend, it's actually not so because certain inspections prompted the department to actually extend the original mandate because it now seems that some of these schemes are establishing franchisees and or other schemes that are being copycats and just following a similar modus operandi. Do we know the names of these schemes? Unfortunately not. Um, it's definitely not mentioned in the annual report. I did contact the South African Reserve Bank to ask them if they are allowed to, to give the names of the schemes even maybe just those where the investigations have been concluded, but was just told that under the Reserve Bank's mandate, they do not comment or give any other detail, despite that um, what is in the annual report. Is there any way the Reserve Bank actually warns consumers against these schemes? Well, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I actually haven't seen the Reserve Bank issuing um, any warnings against these schemes. There have been a couple coming from the Financial Services Board, whether that is sometimes reactively to some reports in the media or proactively and then the media follows up on it. So what's going to be interesting is under the new legislation, the Twin Peaks legislation, when the um, regulatory duties are split between the prudential regulator, which will be the Reserve Bank, and then the market conduct regulator, which will be the FSB, and then the FSB will clearly look at any market conduct issues, um, perhaps we will then actually see more warnings um, to customers and consumers about schemes like this. So currently, what body actually looks at these schemes? Is it only the Reserve Bank? Well, the Reserve Bank looks at it because, you know, if they're contravening the Banks Act, it falls under them. Um, but the FSB has 
probably stepped out a little maybe from its mandate at the moment and they are warning people against um, unlicensed uh, financial services providers. Well, one of the biggest schemes we've seen in, in, in recent months is the Defentech scheme. I assume the Reserve Bank is looking at this scheme because it actually applied for the bank accounts of the Defentech scheme to be frozen. Is this a type of scheme the Reserve Bank would typically investigate? Well, um, when MoneyWeb started reporting on Defensex, it actually contacted the Reserve Bank, and they did indicate that um, it has been, you know, the matter has been referred to, to auditors to look into it, um, and subsequently the bank accounts have been frozen. So yes, this is the type of schemes that the Reserve Bank looks at for illegal deposit taking. At the moment, that court case is still ongoing, and Chris Walker, the sole member of Net Income Solutions, more commonly known as Defensex, has since denied breaching the Banks Act. So we'll have to see what. Happens there. Yeah, we'll keep our eye on that one. Thank you, Jeanette Clark. She's Money Map reporter in Pretoria. Ten years ago, we hosted the inaugural Kimberley Process Summit. For the second time, South Africa is chair of this important international structure. On behalf of all South Africans, I am proud to welcome back members of the Kimberley Process to a renewal of our collective commitment to an equitably prosperous world, free of conflict downs. This message is brought to you by the South African government. The guest in the upper echelon feature this week is Hassan Adams, the chairman of Grand Parade Investments. He is a serial entrepreneur and has been involved in many businesses, including Mac Brothers, Cape Town Fish Market, Squires, Grand Parade and several others. He is also the man who brought Burger King to our shores. Earlier, Hilton Tarrant spoke to Hassan and he asked him how he identifies a business opportunity. I'm an entrepreneur, okay? And if you want to be an entrepreneur like me, who is a street fighter, you got to understand what you want out of life. And when I started, I always wanted to deal with various things, whether it's in the food and beverage sector, whether it's in the construction sector, or whether it's just purely in the investment sector. And, you know, everything happens, you know, differently at different times. And I can't tell you that I have set my goals on certain things. It just happened to be, you know, on the journey, and I would pick it up and I would turn it into gold. I mean, if you look at Cape Town Fish Market, when I when the guys came to speak to me, they look, were looking for an empowerment partner. I said, no, if I'm going to get involved, I must add value and put my money where my mouth is. That's how I started with, with the Cape Town Fish Markets, and it turned out to be a huge success. Now, I don't want to go into the detail of that because I have a magnificent partner in that called Doug Krugman. And he runs the whole show. I'm not involved anymore in, uh, in, in the franchise all side. But I've learned a lot from Cape Town Fish Market in, in the food and beverage side. On the Squire side, I met Jason Clare. And the same thing applied there. You know, I got involved with Squires, with Leonardo's, with Balaginas, with, with, uh, Asagi's and all of these different brands, you know. And we put it together into one vehicle called, um, you know, uh, 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 Squires. Uh, it was called, what was it called? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. I think it was called Sensino or something. Not, um. Anyway, the company housed all of these different types of food and beverage businesses. And when I did the deal on the waterfront with, uh, 
Arabs in Saudi, in, in, in Dubai, mm. um, uh, they wanted to buy out all of these units, which they bought eventually, and it felt it, it, it sort of started to go under the banner of Retail Core, and they insisted that I chair Retail Core. Retail Core then also looked at other businesses in the apparel section, and I, about a year ago, I resigned from Retail Core because, you know, it's, it was now running on its own, and and I had to look for other uh, opportunities. Or And I think about two years ago, I resigned, and that's when I, I jumped and, and grabbed the Burger King opportunity. Now,